0: chapter two this is our foundational text for this series verse 11 says for the grace of god that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope somebody say amen looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And we are finishing our series today on the subject of lessons from grace. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we know we serve a living God, that, Lord, the stone was rolled away, the tomb is empty. Lord, you not only ascended into glory, but you filled our hearts with your Spirit. And we know without doubt, Lord, that you are a living God. And today, Lord, we want your will to be done. Lord, we want through your word us to help to understand you more, to be able to serve you more, to to be better equipped, to bring you glory and honor, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this is our, our last lesson. And along the way, we have considered a few different areas that are important. For us to understand if we are going to try and live the way that grace teaches us to, we've considered that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And this is a series that could possibly be extended to cover a lot of different territory, but I've done my best to feel like, to feel after what the Lord would have us to cover. And so, so far, we've covered in the first part of the first and second lesson really the need to overcome our flesh the need to win the battle over our carnal nature and also considering the very great importance of our prayer lives and walking in the spirit to do so and we recognize that we desperately need the word of god in our lives we need it preached we need it taught we need it studied and we need it applied all of us have to have those in our lives And last time we were together, we talked about being a part of the family of God and understanding the importance from the scripture of this body of believers, not only in the areas that we consider positive or pleasant, such as being encouraged and fellowship and strength, but also recognizing that our imperfections also help to fashion us to be what God wants us to be doesn't seem to make sense but the things that are wrong with us help to make things right with us only god can do that generally that causes us problems but the things that are wrong with us god can use to help to make us right amen it's very important and worth recognizing that the two instructions that we find in in verse 12 of titus 2 we can't achieve the second part without the first part because the first part is, or rather the, the second part says that we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. And if we're going to do that through the grace of the Lord and the power of His Spirit, it's impossible without first denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Those things, they go hand in hand. It'd be nice to just read the second part and say, let's live nice godly lives, but you will never live a victorious godly life without firstly denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we find a similar principle and uh i don't know how long i'm going to be this morning so i'll get you to turn to some scripture let's go to james chapter four there's no preaching tonight so i'm going to try and put two services into one this morning so so it may be a little bit longer But James chapter 4, and uh, there's a lot in this passage, but I just want to bring out one particular aspect. 4 and 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, and give gr- but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw an eye to God, and he will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hands, you double-minded. Now, often in christian circles we hear quoted the middle section by itself resist the devil and he will flee from you we've all heard that quoted we've probably heard it preached and maybe passionately somebody stumped the pulpit and made that statement and it is a true statement but it doesn't exist in isolation it's in the middle of a section that starts with first of all humbling ourselves submitting ourselves to god then we can resist the devil and he will flee. And we draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. Because if you try to resist the devil in your own strength, I would suggest that it's very, very likely that you're going to fail. But if I first submit myself to God, then when I resist the devil, I'm not acting on my own authority, but I'm acting under his. Amen. That's what makes the difference. And with that in mind, I'm going to cover a subject that Humanity, as a, as a general principle, does not naturally like, but it's very important in our lives if we're going to live as grace would teach us. And that is the subject of authority. The subject of authority. Matthew 28 and 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, when you study the Scripture in the New Testament, there are, two main Greek words that were given in the original language that the New Testament translates into English as our English words authority and power. And uh, some of you have heard this before, some of you have studied it yourself. But in this particular verse, the word that is translated as power is from the Greek word exousia, which is maybe not the exact pronunciation, but it means authority or the right to exercise power, to expect obedience... And particularly in the context of delegated authority or authority that is given to somebody from a higher authority. Amen. And the word can be translated as authority, but it's also translated as power. And sometimes in the King James, where it's translated in power, as power, in other versions, it's translated as authority. And it could be discussed which is the best interpretation, but that's a lesson for another time. Um, And the idea of delegated authority, an easy scriptural example of that, if you read the beginning of Acts chapter 9, you read about Saul of Tarsus, who was a very devout man under the law of Moses and had an incredible passion to put out this new movement, these Jesus people, these people that followed the Lord. he felt like he was serving God by coming against the church in its infancy. And so the Bible says that he went to, what does it say? It says he went to the high priest and he desired letters from him that he could take those letters to Damascus and any Christians he found there he could throw into prison. What he was asking for was authority. He was asking the high priest to grant him the authority to do what he wanted to do. Now we know that the Lord intervened on the road to Damascus and those letters never ever got acted on but that's an understanding of delegated authority. He needed somebody above him to say, you've got my stamp of approval. Go and do it as you want to do. He didn't have that authority by himself. Now, the other word that's translated, the other Greek word is is the word dunamis or dunamis. Now, this word in the scripture is translated as power, but it is never translated as authority. And it speaks of the ability to do something. And this is reflected in the fact that in the scripture it's also translated as miracles and mighty works. And uh, it's, usually, it's usually, it's nearly always used speaking about God or about something God has done through people. Amen. The two words are, are closely related, but they're not the same. But that's just a little bit of understanding. But from this lesson, or for this lesson rather, I want to consider authority from the perspective of it being power that is delegated from one to another amen given to somebody all power we read and so logically all authority belongs to jesus there's nobody higher there's nobody greater than the lord and we we know that and as believers jesus must be the highest authority in our lives he must be the one that we answer to he must be the one whose opinion matters more than anybody else's whose word is the ultimate authority in our lives. Any other form of authority must not oppose his authority or it will cause a conflict. And in that situation, he can pull rank on any authority that there is. As a very simple example of this, I had a job some years ago where it was a a reasonable size uh, workplace. And my position in the structure of that workplace was was I was third in the chain of command, so to speak, third in authority. So there were two men that worked above me. Now, that's not a problem, except that the two men that worked above me had different ideas of how things were supposed to happen. And both of them were giving me instructions. But they were giving me opposing instructions. So one would say, I want you to make it this way. And then the other would say, I want you to make it that way. And it was a particularly challenging time for me in my secular employment. But because, thank the Lord, growing up, my pastor taught me some of these principles... I knew which authority had the power. And so when I got two different instructions, I always went with the person who was at the top. Because that way when number two got upset at me, I could say, that's what I was told to do. Had I done it the other way around and contradicted number one by listening to number two, then when the boss came and said, why did you do it that way? I didn't really have any defense. Because I knew that he was the boss. And I recognized that in that delegated authority i had to listen to the highest level of authority in that situation amen and so even even though jesus is the highest power and authority there are several areas of authority that the word of god places in our lives and these cannot be excluded from being a part of being under his authority Sometimes we think, well, I'm under the Lord's authority, therefore I bypass that, but that's actually contradictory, because to be under His authority includes being under whatever authority He puts in position in our world. And there are four areas that I want to touch on, and I could spend a week on each one of these areas, but the calendar's running out, um, so I'm not going to today, but these four areas include government authority, the authority of an employer in a work situation, church authority and marriage and family authority. These are all areas that the scripture gives us from the word of the Lord. And uh, sometimes we think, and again, this is a reflection on our human nature, that authority is all about being told what to do, what we cannot do. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And we sort of get that mindset. And Australians, unfortunately, it seems that that mindset is woven into our, our cultural mindset we seem to have this you know there's this undercurrent of anti-authoritarianism in in our country i you know i wonder if it goes back to the fact that in at least in a modern sense in the last couple of hundred years it was started out as a prison in a modern sense and maybe it has a i don't know maybe that's an excuse who knows those of you that understand those things better than i do can explain that later but i hope that for with with the time I'm done that I can adjust our perspective a little bit about authority that's not all bad news so let's consider what the scripture has to say about some of these areas of authority let's go to 1st Timothy chapter 2 I'm going to give you three references so 1st Timothy 2 Romans 13 and 1st Peter 2 First, first Timothy 2, Romans 13 and First Peter 2. We'll start at First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 2, verses one and two say, "I exhort, therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty." i don't want to see a show of hands but when was the last time you prayed for malcolm turnbull moving right along romans chapter 13 romans 13 and one says let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power but of god the powers that be are ordained of god whosoever therefore resisteth the power wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath but also for conscience sake for for this cause pay ye tribute also for they are god's ministers attending continually upon this very thing render therefore to all their jews tribute to whom tribute is due custom to whom custom fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor now the words ministers that we find here particularly in verse 4 it's not speaking about ministers in a church context, but rather it's the word is more under, better understood as servants, people who are serving in positions of authority. In our present context, we'd say people who are in government, people who are in forms of civil authority. It's not talking about preachers bearing swords. Thank you Jesus. Now First Peter chapter two, and verse 13 says... Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So just that's, there's other passages as well, but just for the sake of keeping it brief, when it comes to the authority of civil rulers or governments in our lives, we are taught to pray for them, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life, we are to be subject to their authority. We are not to resist their authority. We are to submit to every ordinance or rule that they make. We are to pay our dues, taxes, rates, bills, etc. And, and not just to avoid consequences, but to have a clear conscience before God. That's what the Bible tells us about civil authority. These things are expected of us by God now when the bible says that the powers that be are are ordained of god it does not mean that god prefers one political party over another or that the person who is currently in national leadership is god's man that's not what it means but rather it's an indication that the idea of human government is of god now we know that even the very best systems of government have flaws and could be improved no matter which system you may or may not like, then none of them are perfect. And we also know that many of the things that governments or leaders do are not endorsed by God. But He allows those governments to be put in place and expects us to submit to them. Amen. We may say, well, I don't agree with that decision that the government's made, or, or this person or this party is corrupt, or, or I pay too much tax. A lot of people say that. Or I was not treated fairly when I approached the council, the government, whatever it may be. But it's interesting to note that the teaching in Scripture about authority in any form is not, the emphasis rather is on our response to that authority. It's never based upon that authority's performance. We are required to submit to the government. There's no... There's no you know, asterisk in the text where you go down to the bottom of your Bible page and it says only if they do everything perfectly and what you think is good. It doesn't say that. It just says we are required to submit ourselves. Now, there are parameters there, and we'll get to some of that in a little while, but the attitude of the child of God toward the authorities that God endorses, whether it's systems or whatever it may be, is that it's on us. It's on me. The Lord doesn't say to me, well... You know, I know you didn't vote for fill-in-the-blank political party, so therefore I'm going to give you a pass on obeying that new law. That doesn't happen. Whether the government that's in power is my flavor or someone else's flavor, from the word of God, I am expected to pray for them. And there are some politicians, the the things we pray... There's something in the Psalms, you know, we can pray scripture. I don't know where it is off the top of my head, but there's a Psalm that says something about let his office be brief and another person take it. So you know, that's praying biblically. But, but we are required to pray for the leaders that we don't like and submit ourselves to the government. Now, we, we know that in a country like this, the government from time to time, it changes political parties. We get governments come in, we put up with them for a while, we don't like what they do, so we change them and the cycle continues to go. And so whoever's in power, we are required to submit ourselves to that and to pray for them. Amen. We have to always remember that all authority comes under the authority of God. So if a government requires us to do something that is in opposition or contradiction to the word of God, then we obey God. This is important we understand this. If obeying a human authority means disobeying the divine authority, then we are justified to refuse the instruction of the human authority. I don't think that Christians should be involved in uprisings and, and aggressive demonstrations. I do believe that where there is a legal and peaceable way to be involved in the political process, there is scope for that. But we should not be, you know, leading rebellions and storming government house and chaining ourselves to trees or fences or whatever it may be. But there is a point when the law of the land and it will come more and more as time goes by opposes the word of god and then we have to decide okay who is the highest authority give you a very simple example i was chatting to a couple of folks the other night about this the day will probably come if the lord tarries when a pastor of a church could be arrested for refusing to perform a same-sex marriage that could come Uh, There's already been some different situations in America that they've already seen that come to pass in a country where nobody would have believed it was possible. So to say it won't happen here is possibly a little bit naive. And so when I find myself in that situation, who is the highest authority? Do I submit to the government and perform that marriage or do I say, no, Lord, is the highest authority here? Now, I've already got a plan for when that happens, so... When that happens, my celebrant's license is going to be torched. I won't be marrying anybody. That way, sorry, I don't have the qualifications. And we'll find other ways to perform marriages within the, the church. That's my theory at the moment, anyway. We'll see if it works when the time comes. Theory and reality are not always the same thing. But we live in a nation where we can actually have a say in who is in leadership in the national sense. It's not a perfect system but it's a privilege not enjoyed everywhere in the world or even throughout history and what we have to remember is that when the apostle paul was writing his epistles giving us instruction to submit ourselves to human authority he was living in a world that was under the rule of the roman empire he did not vote for caesar his nation was not given a choice about being under roman rule they were an invasive force that took over and imposed their will, and if anybody opposed them, they would simply kill. And so even in that, we would consider that a terrible environment, that people's rights are being violated, there's no electoral process, there's, we didn't get a vote, we didn't get a say, and yet Paul said, submit yourselves unto the authorities that are there. That's pretty sobering. When you think, when you don't like what your government's doing, try and imagine first century Roman Empire. And see which one you'd prefer to live under. I think that's a fairly short conversation. Amen. Their countries had been taken by force, and the Romans were very well known, if you read history, for not being moral, not being kind, not being fair, and most definitely not being merciful. And in fact, many of the moral concerns that we have about our society today were present in the Roman Empire. You read a little bit about the character of the Emperor Nero, you don't like your prime minister, read about some of those Roman emperors. Read about their attitude toward Christianity. Amen. It'll soon give us an appreciation for what we have. But Paul still said, submit and obey. And Paul even used, because he was submitted to the law of the land, he actually used that at one point when they were getting ready to flog him. He said, hang on a sec, I'm a Roman citizen. And they went, oh, hang on. Are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I was born that way. And the man said, I had to pay a great deal of money. So Paul used that system for his own protection. That was a bit of wisdom in there. Amen. Bless the Lord. So Paul said to submit, not just Paul, but other writers, even the Lord, to submit and to obey. So that's government or civil authority. Let's talk about employer authority. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically use the words employer and employee, but it does use masters and servants. And some of those servants were hired. Some were probably better understood as slaves, but some were hired servants. And so the teaching on masters and servants in the New Testament is probably a good place to go for us to find how we ought to approach the idea of being an employee or an employer. And uh, I I don't think your employers want you to call them master. Some of them might think that's great, but... uh, you might need a pay rise before you're willing to do that. Amen. Ephesians chapter six and stay and read at verse five says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service, as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And you masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. The Lord didn't say there shouldn't be masters, there shouldn't be servants. He said, if you're in that relationship, there's a way to look at that. I'll read a couple more. You don't need to turn there. But Colossians 3 And 22 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Chapter 4 and verse 1 of Colossians says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Titus 2 and 9, which is just before our, our platform text, says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. And to please them well in all things, not answering again. First Peter two and eighteen says, "Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward." There's a lot of instruction there, and I know if I think back on my time in secular employment, I'm not sure how I'm scoring against that checklist. But we are to be basically, to paraphrase it, we are to be hard workers to do the right thing, to be honest, even when they're not around. Even if they're not there, you know, it doesn't say to be with eye service. That means you're putting on a show when the boss is there. But as soon as the boss slips out, you're having an extra coffee break, even if you've already had four and it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. It's about being honest when you're being watched and when you're not being watched. That's what the scripture expects of us. And it says that we are to submit ourselves to them with all fear and respect even when they're not nice. Anybody had a boss they didn't like very much? mean he's going to take a hanky out run around the church back there, <laughs> waving furiously from the back of the church. We've probably all had an employer that we didn't like. Well, here's the newsflash. They may not have liked you very much either. But that's not the point. The point is we are to approach them and our employment and our responsibilities as unto Christ, the Bible says. That's not easy. That's not easy. There have been times in my own life when I knew that my attitude toward my boss was wrong and I knew that I wasn't going to get peace from the Lord until I went and I apologized. But Lord, he doesn't deserve it. I was right. He shouldn't have done that. He should, whatever it may have been, but because you want to please the Lord, you go, you know when you serve an ungodly boss and you go and apologize they have the strangest look on their face because they're not used to that but we do it as unto christ that's how it ought to be amen now today in our society you can change jobs it's a little bit different from being a master and a servant you can change jobs and the lord does grant you certain rights and expectations are placed on the employer and i'm glad for some of those things i'm glad you don't go to work and they say well i don't feel like paying you this week so tough for you we're all glad that there are some rules and regulations in place but as christians if you leave a job you should always leave a job well you should always do everything you can to make sure the reputation you've left behind is a good one is a good one because you never know life is funny you never know when you may have to go back now if you leave on bad terms and you say i hated this job i didn't like you in the first place blah 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 and then you need a reference and you have to go back and say could i put you down for a reference for a job i'm going for i've had a few apprentices in the past come back and say to me oh could i put you down for reference and i'd say do you want the job because they maybe weren't the greatest apprentice that I had. But fortunately, I tried to be merciful, as the Lord would have you to be. So it's always, I, I had a job a few years ago that I left. And after I started the new job, I realized very quickly I'd made a terrible mistake. And I was able, through the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, to go back to the old job and say, keep me in mind. And because I'd left on good terms, I got my old job back like that. I don't know what might have happened if I had have said everything I might have ever felt to my boss. And so there, is, there are things that are required of us. There are principles and attitudes that are required of us toward the authority of our employer. Amen. Now we get down to the stuff that's relevant to everybody in the building. Church authority. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Again, I'm not going to be extensive on this. I'm dealing rather with the subject of authority as a whole. Ephesians 4 and 11 says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting or the completing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, that is that the saints would do the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, The New Testament clearly shows us that there were leaders in the church, that there was even a leadership structure in the church. We talked about this on Wednesday night a couple of months back. But if you read the book of Acts, you'll see this leadership in action. You'll see, for example, in chapter 6, that the apostles chose certain people to fill a certain responsibility when they chose the deacons. They had the authority to do that. You'll also see in chapter 15 that the apostles and elders came together for what is often referred to as the first church council, and they made some decisions about the status of Gentile or non-Jewish believers in the church and what would be required of them. They were talking about, do they have to keep the law of Moses? If not, why not? Which bits? And so the leaders came together and made a decision. As they felt led, they said, it seemeth good to us and to the Holy Ghost. And they made decisions of what would be required for the the non-Jewish or the Gentile believers. In Galatians, you read that Paul, who had such an incredible conversion experience and had such an incredible experience in the Holy Ghost with God, went up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders. The Bible uses the expression to see if he had run in vain. In other words, to make sure he was on the right track. He made himself accountable to them. You can also look at the Scripture and see that Timothy and Titus, were under the apostle Paul's authority and that they were instructed to the churches they were looking after, they were instructed to keep the church on the right course and even to ordain elders and pastors in different cities as well. And so you see different levels of authority. Paul was accountable to the apostles. The apostles were accountable to each other in that environment. Timothy and Titus were accountable to Paul's authority. The people that Timothy and Titus ordained were accountable to their authority. And so it's there. It's it's definitely there. And anybody who tries to suggest it's not needs to take a fresh look at the word of the Lord. Amen. But the church is different to government authority. Everybody say, praise the Lord for that. In that, while the idea of human government is from God, but those in the positions of authority and their parties are not necessarily concerned with God or His word. In the church of God, the will and the word of God must be our ultimate authority. And those who have authority in the church are required to function based upon the word of God in pursuit of the will of God and in a godly manner. That's one of the big differences between civil authority and church authority. And so within the household of faith among the church, we ought to have confidence that God has ordained the authority in his church, and that he does, unlike in politics, he does put people in positions, and that unlike in politics, if I can be bold enough to say this, they are God's man or God's woman. That's the difference in the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's read some scriptures. Where are? Oh, we've got hours. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12 says, And we beseech you, brethren, or we implore, we urge you, we strongly encourage you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. What is that last statement there? Because the two are connected. The two are connected. Our relationship with the authorities God puts in our lives and peace amongst ourselves go hand in hand. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, the Apostle Paul said, Be ye followers of me. That's a strong statement, but it wasn't a full stop there. It was a comma. And he said, Even as I also am of Christ. So he wasn't starting a cult that was based around his personality. But he was acknowledging that as long as he followed the Lord, the Lord had put him in a position where he had the authority to say, follow me. Amen. First Timothy 5 and 17. I can give you all these references when we're done if you like, just so you don't think I'm making them up. It says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Hebrews 13 and 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And a little further down in Hebrews 13 and 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you. That word doesn't sit well with any of us. Obey. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Some fairly straightforward and fairly strong verses of Scripture. Amen. And we may sort of come back to that in a little bit. But let me get down to the last area of authority that is very clearly established in the Word of God. And that is marriage and family authority. I've deliberately left this one for last because, in many ways, it's the most important. In many ways, it is. Not in the sense that it outranks other areas of authority because it doesn't. But from the perspective that the family and what goes on in the family is the environment where our attitudes and our responses to all other areas of authority are formed. They happen within the family. And uh, particularly when you look at it from the position or the viewpoint of children. In the home, it's where children will see demonstrated and most likely imitate. Old expression is monkey see, monkey do. Not that our children are monkeys, but... That's the expression that there's imitation that takes place. They will, they will see demonstrations there that they will subconsciously imitate of the marriage relationship, of attitudes towards teachers when they start school, attitudes towards employers, attitudes towards government, and attitudes towards pastors. And parents, some of you might not agree with this, but parents do not have authority over God government, employers, or even pastors. But they shape the attitude of their children toward those authorities. Amen. And I've said it before in this pulpit, and I will say it again, I am eternally grateful for the emphasis on my attitude towards authority that my mother taught us when we were kids and how it was very strong, whether it was our teachers, whether it was the law, but especially in my relationship with the man of God in my life. She put that into us in a very strong sense. And I have no doubt whatsoever that that's kept me out of a lot of mistakes that would have been born out of my own foolishness. Amen. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's a lot of misunderstanding about that verse. It's not a guarantee that your children will do everything that you've taught them to do because there is always the element of a person's free will. But it is a powerful principle about the impact that the home has on fashioning the little people into big people. That's really the underlying principle that is there. There are things that our children, even children that that don't want to conform or whatever, there are things that will come up later when they are adults that are a product of what they were taught when they were kids. Many of us, many of us when we were growing up and we were responding to a decision that our parents made with uh, displeasure, said, when I have kids, I won't do that. When I've got children, I'm not going to do what mum did or what dad did. I'll do A, B and C because I'm going to be the wisest parent that ever lived. And then when we grow up, when we have children, those statements come back to us as we find ourselves often doing the very same things that we swore that we would never do. Because the perspective of a child is very different from the perspective of a parent amen ephesians chapter 5 let's turn there together i'll get you to turn every once in a while you stay with me it's good to read the word together ephesians 5 we're talking about marriage and family authority and 22 says wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the lord i'm glad no men said amen there's wisdom For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject under Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, whether you are the husband in this passage or the wife, and you don't get a choice in that, I'm sorry, unlike society says you can identify as what you want, that's not how it works in God's economy. You get married, you're either the husband or the wife. You can't change as you go along. There is instruction there for both of us that if we apply ourselves to, we will have to continue to work out for the rest of our lives. The husbands are required to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And it doesn't matter how much you love your wife, reaching to the level that Christ loved the church is something that is ongoing. And for the ladies to submit to their husbands as the church does to christ even if you are a very submissive wife that level is still something that we strive for and i think that's good i think there needs to be something in us that we are constantly saying lord help me to approach this the way that you would help me have me to approach it in a similar vein colossians 3 says that wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the lord husbands love your wives and be not bitter against them children obey your parents in all things for this is well pleasing unto the lord 1 Peter 3 says likewise you wives be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word they also may be one sorry they also may without the word be one by the conversation or the lifestyle of their wives same chapter 1 Peter 3 and 7 says likewise you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered and Ephesians six one to two says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honour thy mother. Sorry, honour thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So there is each of these areas of authority: family, government, church, um, employer. We could spend a Sunday morning on each one of those, but I'm looking at the general topic of authority across the board this morning. There's obviously things that are required of us in every relationship by the scripture but it seems if we're thinking in our flesh which we like to do it seems as though our lives are filled with nothing but authority somebody always telling us what to do when we're kids we want to grow up so we can be the boss but then when we grow up we go work for somebody and we find out they're the boss and we also find out if we're going to serve the lord there's other authority in the church that he puts over us and then we fall in love and we get married and there's an authority that's going on in that relationship and then we have kids and the cycle starts again there's authority all the way whether we like it or not and it sounds like you know, if it's not the government it's your boss if it's not your boss it's your pastor if it's not your pastor it's your husband if it's not your husband it's for the children it's your parents there's always somebody that's in authority seems like we're in an authoritarian state somebody's always there to tell us what we're doing and failure to understand all of this and its purpose can seem like authority is a giant policeman in our lives or as sometimes young people might say it's the the place where happiness goes to die you know there's there's no fun authority is all about taking away your fun taking away what you want to do but that's not actually the case But when we actually understand it properly and get our understanding right, we realize that there is a blessing in being under authority. Amen. And I guess this is really where I want us to get to this morning. Authority is like uh, the picture that's often painted is one of an umbrella or a covering. It's a covering. And each authority that's in our lives has a different reach or a different span of what it covers. And uh, when you place yourself... And that's what it takes, to be honest. It takes a placing of ourselves. When you place yourselves under authority, you are eligible for the benefits of being under that covering. Not only that, the authority that you are under then becomes accountable for you. Amen. If you step out, conversely, if you step out from under that authority, you lose the benefits and you gain consequences. That's just how it is. Let's just go back quickly over some of the areas we've touched on. The authority of God, the ultimate authority. The most obvious benefit of being under the authority of God is salvation. Amen. Submission and obedience to God brings the blessings of salvation, of love, of peace, of joy, and all of those things. There is No matter, no matter how hard life can get, there is no life like being a child of God. And I know we go through hardships and I know we go through trials and I don't minimize anybody's heartache, but I would rather have those things as his son than have those things as a child of the devil. The Bible does say that the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. I read something the other day where somebody said, with David and Goliath, a righteous man cut off an evil man's head. With the Apostle James, an evil man cut off a righteous man's head. Good and bad happens to everybody. But I'd rather take the bad with Jesus than take it without him. I mean, there is no life like there is being under the covering of God's authority. Now, without that covering, we get sin, all the heartaches that come from sin, the loss of salvation, and ultimately, an eternity in hell. They're the consequences of stepping out from under that covering, and they're very serious. We talk about government authority. In this country especially, there's a lot of benefits to being under government authority. The structure of our legal system, government-provided education, government-provided health care, and I know we all have opinions about how those things are run. You can talk about that later. A police force, various forms of support, even road rules are beneficial. Now, none of us like the road rules when we're in a hurry. None of us agree with all the road rules. The other night we were having a meeting and Brother Gavin was there and Brother Gavin works for Main Roads, so Brother Frost and I were letting him know the things he needed to change around Perth. Different road rules and roundabouts and stuff we wanted him to take care of because they didn't satisfy our opinion. So we'll be following up to see if he's taking care of our needs. But could you imagine if somebody gave you a car and said there's no speed limits, no traffic lights, no roundabouts, no give way to the right, none of that. I'd be terrified to drive out the gate. Because every crazy person who's in a hurry would be going as fast as they like on whatever side of the road they like. They wouldn't indicate. They'd change directions. They'd stop whenever they wanted. And if you had a crash, you'd just get and say, well, there are no rules. Have a nice day and keep going. So every time you don't like the road rules, step back and think about what it would be like without them. And there are countries where I've longed for our road rules when I've traveled. If you've ever been to Jakarta and in Indonesia, it's like, Lord... I'll never complain about the traffic in Australia again. I love it when I take young people to Bali because there's a hotel we normally stay at in Bali and at the end of the street there's a roundabout with three streets coming off it, like a Y. And when you come to that roundabout, they go either side. If they want to go left, they go left. If they want to go to the right, they go to the right. And I've seen it many, many times, but I love watching the expressions on the young people's faces. Is he allowed to do that? And apparently here you are. So there are benefits for government. We might have opinions about police that do the wrong things or police that are corrupt, but when you've gotten an emergency, imagine if you had no number to call. Somebody breaks into your house and is threatening you with violence or a situation where you've got time to call the police. You can't always really say, hang on a minute. But imagine if you didn't have somebody to call. If, you didn't, if you'd hurt yourself and you couldn't call an ambulance. A family member's had a heart attack or, or something seriously's happened and, and you had nobody to call. That's government. That's the thing we complain about a lot, but I'm kind of glad they're there. I haven't needed an ambulance too many times in my life, but on the few times I was really glad they were there. I was in a car accident a few years ago and the person came along the road to the accident and came over to the car and I think they are a bit shocked. They, they said to me, I, they said, do you want me to call somebody? I said, yes, please. They said, who should I call? I thought, uh, ambulance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did not know if they wanted to dial a pizza or... But, but I'm glad that we have government. There are benefits from being under the authority of our civil government. We don't always like it, but there are Benefits. I mean, I'm glad I can call police if I need police. I don't always like hearing sirens in the middle of the night, but I'm kind of glad that they're there. You see, Romans 13, we read this earlier, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Amen. Church authority. When we place ourselves, again, you place yourself under the authority that God ordains in the church, you are acknowledging that God put them there. And when you do that, you will benefit from what God uses them to do in our lives. When we view the preaching, teaching, counsel, guidance, correction, etc. as being from God, God will bless us through those things to help us to grow in Him. Amen. Now, does that mean that that person is perfect? No, it does not. But just as no policeman is perfect, if you have an emergency, I'm pretty sure you're still going to call him. Amen. And as long as we are under that covering of spiritual authority, that person is accountable for us to God. That's what the Bible says. We step out from under that covering and as Hebrews 13 and 17 lets us know, their account will be with grief and not with joy. I mean, that's what the Bible says. You know, I can only share my own experiences. There was, when, when Brother Glass was our pastor here, and when Brother Jacobson was my pastor before him, I used to talk to Brother Glass about all kinds of stuff. The things I was doing, choices I was making. You know, if I had a job interview, I'd talk to him about it. I'd ask him to pray for me. Now... Did Brother Glass, was he an expert on the hospitality industry that I worked in? No. He never worked. He knew how to eat. But he wasn't an expert on the food industry. We all know Brother Glass. He he liked a meal. There's nothing wrong with that. Anybody not like a meal? All right. We're all guilty. Okay. But I didn't go and talk to him because he was an expert about being a pastry chef or because he would know which restaurant or which patisserie or what hotel that it would better for me to go. I went and talked to him because it was my way of saying, I'm under your authority. It wasn't because it's like, I can't make up my own decision. I really, can you choose for me, please? I just don't seem to be able to work it out. I not know. It was just a statement of saying, I'm under that. Pray for me as I make this decision. That's what it was about. It was me saying, I want to be under his covering. Amen. Marriage and family authority. Scripture makes it very clear that our relationship with our spouse impacts our relationship with God. First Peter says to the husbands that how they treat their wives impacts their prayer lives. In fact, it uses the word, if, you know, if you be careful how you treat your wives, that your prayers be not hindered. When you look at that word hindered in the original, it talks about being cut down. I don't want my prayers chopped down. I want them to get to the Lord. And it doesn't say it specifically, but I'm fairly confident that the reverse is also true, ladies. It works both ways. How we are to one another in respect to the authority that God has placed in our lives directly impacts our relationship with God. That's a benefit of the covering. That's a benefit. And you men that are doing your best to lead your houses and to use that authority the way God would have you to, there are times that you're going to mess up. And you need to thank God if you've got a wife that keeps her gun in the holster when you do. I don't mean literally. Because if we're honest in our marriages, if one disagrees with the leadership and the leadership gets it wrong, what do we all want to say? I'm telling you. We all want to say it. We all do. But if we are wise, we'll choose. Because the thing is, that person... Whether we're talking about family authority, government, church, employer, that leader is accountable to God. And they have to, the husband then has to, and father then has to go back to say, say, Lord, I think I made a mess of this. Make it right with God and try to get back on track. Amen. There's such a thing in human, the whole I told you so thing is a real problem for humanity. Amen. Bless the Lord. The book of Proverbs, and I'm nearly done. The book of Proverbs has many verses and talking about marriage and family authority. We don't want to leave the kids out. Many verses that speak of the consequences of children not honoring their parents or ignoring their instructions. And I didn't want to read the whole book, but there's just one passage I want to read out in verse in chapter 30 of Proverbs, verses 11 to 13. It says, "There is a generation that curses their father and does not bless their mother." When it says curses there, it doesn't mean swears that; it means disregards. Dismisses. It says, There is a generation that curses their father and does not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. That's a warning for us when we're kids. There's a reason that honor your mother and father is in the Ten Commandments. There's a whole list of things God could have put in there instead. But it's there for a reason. The principle we've covered, and I know it's not been exhaustive, is that authority really is for our benefit. It's not for our suffering. It's not to take away our fun. But it's for our benefit, and it's provided by the grace of God to help us live the way that he wants to. When we are under its covering, in whatever scope we've talked about, we benefit from its provision and its protection. And I read just recently, and I think it's very, very important, We understand this. The level that you are submitted to, to authority, is directly connected to your ability to call on the power of that authority. The more I am submitted personally to the Lord, the more I can call on the power of His name and His word. But you know in yourself, if you know your life's not right, how confident do you feel about calling on the Lord? We know there's sin in our hearts. We we feel sort of stuck we need god's help but we don't feel that confidence because we're not under that covering and so the greater level of submission i choose to put in my life unto an authority the greater confidence i should have in calling on the power of that authority you talk about society and government if you've got illegal activity going on in your house how likely are you to call the police when you need them your garage is full of stolen goods or you've got a drug den in the back of the house, you're not so quick to call for the authorities and the benefit they might, you will miss out on their benefit because you are afraid of your consequences because you are not submitted. If you call the police and you think, right, they'll be here in five minutes, I've got to tidy up the house hide, you know, put some things under the bed, and you're not really confident in that relationship. But when I'm doing my best to be a law-abiding citizen, I know we could talk about corrupt government, that's another story altogether. But when I'm doing my best to be a law-abiding citizen, submitted to that authority, I can confidently go to my government and say, I need some help. Now, if you feel like you've paid too much tax, but you've also got an illegal cash business going on the side... Are you going to go to the ATO and say, could you please examine my books? I think I've been overcharged. No, you're going to do your best to not attract the authority, but you miss out on the benefits thereof. At every level, that works. In the home, when when, when children are in submission and obedience to their parents, they've got a much better chance of benefiting from the protection and provision of their mother and father. When I was at school... My mother was a school teacher, not while I was at school, before I was born. And so if I ever thought that a teacher was treating me unfairly, I never once went home to the authority and complained. Do you know why? Because I knew that my conduct at the same time in that classroom was maybe not exactly in the kind of submission that it should have been. So if I had gone to my mother and said, there's a teacher at school that's given me a hard time, when she followed that up, As my parent, it would have come out that, well, actually, Mrs. Butcher, little Simon's been doing A, B, C, and D and causing a problem in the class. So my confidence in the authority was shaky because of my lack of submission. But if I was doing my best to be a good student, to work hard, and to do what the teacher said, which it happened the first week of every year first week of every year i went to school i'm going to be good this year that it lasted lasted about a week but if i was doing and i knew that i hadn't done the wrong thing i had been working hard doing everything i could and the teacher just decided they didn't like me i'd be a lot more confident to go and say Mum, i don't know what's going on having confidence that my mother would go into bat for me because i was in submission and that works in every, you know, in every situation. And that's one of the reasons some people don't seek counsel in the family of God, because they know that getting advice on a situation may reveal how they're functioning within that situation. And we all want to present ourselves as being the completely innocent party and the other person is the completely guilty party. But deep down we know that's not necessarily the case. So your level of submission is directly connected to your ability and confidence to call on the power of that authority we've been talking about the things that grace wants to teach us authority is very important if you are going to live a victorious life because when i'm born again and i submit myself to the lord and the authorities he's put in my life i take myself out from under the authority of sin and darkness position myself in his light and i now have access to a greater authority that there was one that used to rule my life I can say, no, no, I am accountable to a higher authority now. And because of that submission and that accountability, I can live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Let's stand together this morning.